So it is, Father. If your heart, if it's really true that you were willing to give up your son to gain me, to gain us, then you are worth listening to maybe more than anyone else on the planet in the universe. And so we pray that you would open our ears to hear your voice today and we would be changed because we saw your heart broken. In the name of Jesus, amen. That's a weekend on this campus. Whatever Sabbath it falls on or whatever weekend it falls on, we take a moment to applaud our seniors. They're gonna, they marched in. They're going to march out at the end of the service. Just getting warmed up for the march in a few months. You remember? Come on, you oldies. You remember your graduation? Some of you graduated with honors. Some of you were honored to graduate. You know, you know the truth. You can keep it to yourself. That's fine. Seniors, we're going to miss you. We really, we really will. I saw a couple of former seniors walk in to the service this morning. They are moved on now, but we, it just reminded me, every one of you leaves a little footprint on this campus. And so you're welcome to come back anytime. I did some, some research. What are you guys worried about? What are you stressing about today? I know it's Sabbath, but you're still stressing about it. Here's some of the top questions that are on a high school senior's mind. What do I do after graduation? Fair enough. Am I doing everything I should be now? And then this third question caught me off guard. This is in the top five questions that, that swirl around a senior's head, apparently, according to the, uh, the reading I, I did. Can I procrastinate? Can I continue to procrastinate and still succeed? Or is my procrastination going to just bite me in the backside one morning unexpectedly? Well... Here's the, <laughs> I never read this in my life, but apparently it's going around some Texas high schools. This is, this is the, the line that's being shared around Texas high schools to high school seniors this spring. Do today, do today. Whatever's due today, do today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just do today what is due today, and you'll be all right. So go, go for it, seniors. What's the worst that could happen? And they say when you get your high school diploma, keep walking in case the high school finds out something and changes their mind. Ah, that's what's stressing you out. What about what's, what, what do you fear? What do high school seniors fear? Now, we know the top three fears in our nation, in the United States of America, and maybe even the world, are number one, public speaking. That's the number one fear in our nation. Number two is the fear of heights, right? So public speaking, heights, and number three is bugs, snakes, and other critters. 
So those are the top three fears. But what are high school seniors, apart from those national fears that we're all sharing, what are the high school students, what are senior high school students fearing? I did a, a little Getz and Associates survey uh, and discovered the top five fears of a high school, fe- uh, high, high school senior. Number one is the fear of failure. Number one is the, is the fear of failure. Am I going to fail at what I do next? Am I going to fail with these decisions that I have to make? Uh, the, the SAT, the ACT, and we had a great presentation by one of our own, Cody John, in our assembly this week. Uh, the question still lingers. Do I get, what if I don't get enough on my SAT or my ACT or, or my GPA isn't enough? What if I fail? Number two, choosing the right career. 90% of high school seniors surveyed across this nation say they are concerned they, they, they're going to choose the wrong career. You study for four years, you graduate, oh, everybody applauds, but then you go to work for something you just can't stomach. What if you choose the wrong career? Number three is debt. Number four is being accepted. Am I going to be accepted? I mean, high school, I mean, it was fine. It was 150 people. But college, am I going to be accepted? Am I going to show up and be the odd one out? Number five, then, is choosing the right college. How do you choose the right college? Well, depends on who you ask, I, I guess. Nobody's asking me, but I, I'll tell you. Go to Andrews. It's the right college. <laughs> and, and my kids apparently won't be accepted into union. <laughs> With that kind of comment. No, you choose, it's a tough choice. You you figure it out. You pray about it. You talk to your parents. You talk to your people. It's a tough choice. But let's talk about that number one fear. The number one fear for high school seniors is failure. We wish it would go away after graduation, seniors. But that fear lingers long afterwards. Grab your Bibles. We're going to a few passages, a few prophets, all right? A few prophets. Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to Nehemiah chapter 6 first. Now, Nehemiah is one of those hard books to find. You, you think you know where it's at, and then you, and then you can't find it. But it's, it's after Ezra, Nehemiah, before Esther, and that's before Job and Psalm and all that. So you got this Nehemiah chapter 6. Now, Nehemiah, who's Nehemiah, right? He's occupied this position, this high position in, in the Persian court. He was very well respected and appreciated by the king. It was a, it was a place of honor. That Not only was he the cupbearer, but this position of being a cupbearer was, was one of, of trust and closeness to the king and the king's family. So Nehemiah occupied this position. Now, Nehemiah is a Jew. He's occupying this position, a little bit like Daniel did, a confidant to the king. Now, the Persian king notices he's, he's, he's not himself, and there's this conversation. Of, eventually, Nehemiah asks for a leave. Can I just go? I want to return and help. Some of the exiles had returned to rebuild Jerusalem, but things had not been going well. He said, I want to go back and help rebuild Jerusalem, but it's just not, I, I'm just not going back to rebuild the walls. I'm going back to rebuild the ways. I want God's way 
back with his people. And so Nehemiah heads off to Jerusalem and begins this God-ordained work, this, this work that God had put on his heart. He begins to do this work. Now, Satan, Satan is not so concerned about the walls. He's concerned about rebuilding the ways because the ways of, of Israel, as Nehemiah sees them, are following God, being obedient. And that is supposed to spread to the world. And so Nehemiah, uh, Satan wants to capture and, 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 and handicap uh, Nehemiah in this work of rebuilding the walls and especially rebuilding the ways. Now, Nehemiah... Uh, has a prayer here in which he kind of uh, recounts what has happened, the the attack. So Nehemiah chapter 6, and we're going to pick it up in verse 13. He's he's talking about uh, what has happened. He said he, uh, he's... He's, he's just gone through the, the kind of the ringer. So Shemaiah, he says, Shemaiah, this, this, guy, this guy that was paid to kind of undermine his work, uh, for this reason, he, Shemaiah, was hired. He was actually paid to do this work, to, to distract, to discombobulate, to discourage Nehemiah. <clears throat> he said that he was hired for this, that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. The whole idea was to get Nehemiah to be afraid. That was the whole goal, because fear causes us to act and react in ways that we wouldn't otherwise. And then Nehemiah said this would bring a reproach on the work. Verse 14. My God, he prays, remember Tobiah and Sanbout. These are the, these are the infamous civil leaders Who, who have been paying Shemaiah, apparently, to undermine his work. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these, their works. And the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. That was their work. To make Nehemiah afraid. Let that just sink in. Here's, here's Nodiah, the prophetess, and other prophets who were apparently paid. It doesn't say so there, but in verse 13, Shemaiah was paid. And so there's a conclusion that there has been a a payment. Now she at one point and the others were at one point recognized as prophets. Prophets for God. But somehow they have gotten derailed. They have gotten distracted. Was it the the offering of, of, of financial reimbursement? Was it money that caused the distraction, like the story of Balaam? But just let this simmer for a minute. Satan. Satan, direct attempt to, to, to cause Nehemiah to quit, to abandon the work. What did he use? He used the prophets. Satan doesn't doesn't waste his time with something that doesn't work. He studies what works, and he uses the prophets. Same thing Jesus said in, in Matthew 24 when he warned us of what would happen at the very end. He said, listen, there's going to be false prophets. It's the most repeated concern that Jesus had for the end time. 
prophets, false prophets, people that are going to work to deceive you. Oh, he says, be careful, be careful, be careful. Why? Because apparently prophets are so critical to the work of God that Satan knows how effective they are. He uses it. He twists them and uses it against us. What is meant for so much good, for so much power, Satan uses. It's the, it's the, the theory of C.S. Lewis who says, listen, the, the potential that something has for good is the equal potential it has for bad. And he says, you know, if you have a good goldfish, that's, that's good, but if you have a bad goldfish, it's, it's just a little bad. A, a, good fi- a good goldfish is a little good. A bad goldfish is a little bad. A good dog is a little bit more good, and a bad dog is a little bit... The potential something has for good, it also has the equal potential for, some, for, for bad. And so the good that a prophet has, the potential it has, Satan knows that. And he says, if I want to really do a number on God's work, I'm going to use prophets. I'm going to use... And I'm going to twist their work. That's the Matthew 24 warning. And that's what happens here with Nehemiah. Satan brings in, and, and Tobiah and Sanballat begin to use these prophets. Nodiah is named by specifically, but there were other prophets. The work of Satan is to cause fear. That's his end game. He wants to scare you. He wants to threaten you. Now, Nodiah, she's one of the prophetesses listed in the Old Testament. She was a dynamic. We don't know much about her. But those who have taken time to study, says she, was, she was a dynamic personality. But she began to substitute, apparently, her own feelings. What feels right. A subjective experience. And communicate that. Well, what... Maybe a little, a little look here at what Sanballat and Tobiah did. What was their MO? What was their, what, how did they operate? With her as their, as, as their spiritual counselor. They, let me put a little outline on the screen here for you. They persistently, and this is true, they persistently tried to distract Nehemiah. Oh, Nehemiah, stop doing the work. Come down and let's talk about it. Let's just talk. Let's have a committee about it. Let's meet about it. They, 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 they put up little smoke screens of distractions. And then they would persistently accuse him, slander him. Nehemiah, you don't really care about Jerusalem. This is all about your own personal benefit, isn't it? They persistently used misinformation. You have to understand that this was an era where they used sealed letters. You, you wrote the letter, you sealed it, and the, and the receiver, the one that was the in, intended receiver, would know that the letter was good because it was sealed. Well, Tobiah and Sanballat began to use this method over and over and over of sending open letters. Hey, no seal on this thing. We want everybody to read it. We live in a world today of open letters. Why? Because we want to shame organizations and individuals. We want to provide as much misinformation the world does as possible. And then they were persistent. 
and they're irreverent. No, that's, they, would, they would use spiritual twists. Come on, Nehemiah, meet me in the church. You need to hide away in the temple because they're going to kill you, Nehemiah. I've heard, I've heard, they're after you. Come hide in the temple. This was over and over and over. Nehemiah's response, his now famous response to every attempt. I cannot come. I am doing a great work. I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Nehemiah's repeated line to every Attempt, a distraction, an accusation, a slander, misinformation. Bring it on. Nehemiah said, I cannot come down. I am doing a great work. And he ends this passage. This just slips it right in. Tobiah and Sanballat tried all of these things, and then they they used the prophets to to the spiritual twist on this. And then he says in in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15, it just one line. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul. In the 52 days, it was done. Less than two months, the wall is finished. Apparently, that was some sort of impressive time. Why does the Bible include that? Because that's what happens. Walls get finished. Ways get restored. When we remain undistracted, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. I want you to hang that narrative and this line, especially Nehemiah's famous line. I want you to hang that in your thinking right now. Let's go to our second narrative and tie them together. Our second narrative is in the book of Judges. So you're going back a few books now past Chronicles and Kings and 1 and 2 Samuel to the book of Judges. It's chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Deborah, well, here's what happens in the book of Judges, right? There's just, it's just kind of a rinse and repeat. The God, God's people do evil. They rebel against him. And then he, he, the only way he can get their attention is to put them into a, a place of suffering, a place of difficulty. And so he does, and then they cry out. They say, hey, God, where are you? And so he sends them a deliverer, which is what the term judge is. It's a civil leader of, of sorts, but it's a deliverer, uh, even a, a savior, a, a military or civil deliverer. And in chapter 4, he raises up Deborah, who was a prophet. She was already a prophet, and he said, now I need you not just to be the spiritual leader, but I need to raise you up to be a civil leader here, kind of a, a military mind. Deborah joins Moses and Samuel as the only other two that were called to be judges and prophets. So she, meeting with God, now comes with a plan. All right, this is what we're going to do. Judges chapter 4, and pick it up in verse 6. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go. I intentionally had them split the, 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 the PowerPoint right there. Stop right there. You read this. The Lord God of Israel commands you to go. It's a little reminiscent of when the Lord God of Israel showed up on this planet, and he got ready to leave his people he said, all power is given to me. 
on heaven and on earth. Now go. That's exactly what Nehemiah had been doing. He had been going for God and everybody, the, the world around him, sought to distract, to discourage, to f- cause him to be afraid. Deborah, speaking on behalf of God, says, God has commanded you, Barak, to go. Go! Don't worry about the distractions. Don't worry about the obstacles. Go! 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 What's he to do? He's to go. Take with you 10,000 men of Nephtali and Zebulun and lead them to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera. That was the Canaanite captain that they were under oppression by. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. I will do that. Now go. Rock's response in verse 8. Rock said, I, I, I'll go, but I'll only go if you go with me. And if you don't go with me, I won't go. God's command, go. Rock's response, ah, ah, I need a little bit more. A little bit like Gideon. We find in the same book where he says, well, I'll go, but I need some signs. Rock says, I'll go if you go with me. Well, Deborah's response to that clearly indicates that he is now failing, but God is not going to forsake him. She says, certainly I will go with you. I'll go with you. Okay, I'll go with you. But because of the course you are taking, what's the course he is taking? Of being fearful, even with God's promise. Because of the course you are taking, by not following explicitly God's command, There's going to be some things about this that don't work out like you want them. The course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. You won't get the credit for this. The Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Well, what happened after that? Of course, Sisera fled from the battle. He fled up to a, a neutral, a politically neutral area. It was actually an area, the Kenites, uh, that were re- relatives of Moses through his father-in-law. Had, had settled in. And so Sisera knows this, and he goes to this neutral area, and he seeks help. He says, hey, I need help from Heber. Well, Heber, I, we don't know where Heber is, but he, he came to his kind of encampment. He wasn't there, but Jael was there, his wife, and she says, well, yeah, come in, and, and uh, what do you need? He says, I, I need something to drink. She said, I'll get you some milk, and here's a blanket, and get some rest. And then, in that famous conclusion, she takes the tent spike, nails it through his temples into the ground. That's the end of Sisera. Prophecy is completed. The prophet doesn't refuse to go. God doesn't abandon. But Deborah indicates that God wanted to do more. But Brack's course had to make for another plan. If he would be willing, she would, she's saying, if you would just be willing to trust God's word, it will be the greater honor, the greatest victory. But because of fear, Barak lost out. Our highest calling, our greatest honor, beloved, would be to take action on God's word and God's word alone. 
Deborah actually in, in, in chapter five of Judges, she writes this song uh, and she curses. In verse 23, she curses those who didn't take action for God. She curses them in the middle of the song. She says, you are cursed for not taking action. A.W. Tozer, in his volume, Voice of the Prophet, said, what is desperately needed, I'll put it on the screen, today are men and women who are so obsessed with God that only God matters. I don't care where the rest of my class is going. I don't care. I'm going to be faithful to what God has asked me to do. It doesn't matter about my school. It doesn't matter about my family. I am going to take action. God said, go, I'm going. What we desperately need today are men and women who are so obsessed with God that only he matters. Nehemiah, it doesn't matter what you say, Sanballat or Tobiah. It doesn't matter the slander. It doesn't matter the misinformation. It doesn't matter. What is God saying? What is God saying? And how is, of course, he's saying it through his prophets. That, those are the ones that deliver the message. That's why Jehoshaphat said in, in 2 Chronicles 20, 20, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord God. You shall be established. Believe his prophets. They're the ones that bring the promises from God. You will prosper. But we live half lives. And less than God desires for us because simply we won't take God at his word. No, but what is everybody else doing? I mean, it's, it's just, I want to kind of, come on. Deborah Tabarak, you, because of your course of action, you will not receive the credit for this. God will not be able to use you like he dreams to use you. You will not be who God meant you to be because you are unwilling to simply take God at his word. Nothing more, nothing less than the promises. What, we, what is desperately needed, desperate, Speaking to all ages now, what is desperately needed, men and women who are so obsessed with God that only God matters. One winter, while I was in college, home on a break, one of the darkest, most difficult times of my life. My parents have an old farmhouse in, North, in Oregon, the woods of the Northwest. One early morning, before dawn, awakened by just the, the turmoil in my heart and in my mind, I slipped downstairs. They heat with a wood stove, and so the wood stove is casting an orange glow. Warmth is coming from it. I slid into a corner of the couch, alone in the darkness, crying out to God. Come on, God, where are you? Where are you? I picked up the book that was on the end table next to the couch. I didn't pay attention to the, to the title. I did one of those, just kind of let it fall open, and I was going to read the page. I read the page, and it changed my life. In fact, I still, I have it copied, and I put it on the inside back cover of every Bible I use. The book was entitled, Our High Calling. 
I was oblivious to it then, but I'm not now. Our highest calling, where God will get the greatest honor, where he will use us for the most potential that we have. This is what he's talking about. I want to use you, Barak. I want you to be the greatest that you can be, but you're going to have to go out on nothing more than my word. I command you, go. Our high calling. This is what I read as the book fell open. There are precious promises in the scriptures to those who wait upon the Lord. There are precious promises. Who, did, who brought the promises? The, the prophets brought the promises. We all desire an immediate answer to our prayers, and we are tempted to become discouraged if our prayer is not immediately answered. Now, my experience has taught me that this is a great mistake. The delay is for our special benefit. Our faith has a chance to be tested to see whether it's true and sincere or changeable like the waves of the sea. We must bind ourselves upon the altar with strong cords of faith and love and let patience have her perfect worth. Faith strengthens through continual exercise. It's the same thing as muscles. It strengthens through continual exercise. And then this line that has just burned into my memory, God will not mock us. He didn't give us these promises to mock us. When he said to Barak, go, go. (laughs) I'll deliver sister into your hands. God wanted to bring Barak honor and victory. But because of Barak's... (laughs) No, I, I get it, but I just, I, I need some sort of extra assurance. I need, I need something else. God's word isn't enough for me. It's the cry of Nehemiah. God has called me to a great work. I cannot be distracted by it. I don't need somebody else. Sanbal and Tobiah at one point even offered, hey, we'll join you. Just come down and talk to us. Then we'll talk about it. We'll figure it out. And we'll join you. No, Nehemiah said, I am called to a great work. I don't need to come off this wall. I don't need to do that. Without that, without that prophetic word, without the promises of God, we are destined to live in fear, always looking for something else, something else to reassure us, someone else to give us the confidence. We will fear failure at every turn for the rest of our lives unless, unless we are willing to take God at his word. And then it won't matter. Bring it on. I am doing what God has called me to do. I can't come down. Again, A.W. Tozer in his book, The Voice of the Prophets says, listen, the word of the prophets today are seldom, is seldom heard, not because there's no prophet speaking for God. The, there are still great and precious promises. There are still the words of the prophets. They are still speaking for God. But because of the noise and the clatter of our culture has so invaded the church, us, they have drowned out the voice. God is still calling as he did on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples. When they wanted some sort of assurance, he took them back to the promises and the word of the prophets. You expose your mind. You root your life in the words of the prophets. You will prosper. If you make them your only surety, it doesn't matter what others are doing. If the words of the prophets are your only surety, God will honor. He didn't give you the promises to mock you. High school seniors, you can change the world if you get this one thing. But I'm going to give you a break for just a second. We're coming back to you. Don't don't go anywhere. But I want to speak to the more the 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 
the ripened among us, the gifted in years. How many other ways can I say it? The old. Yeah. No, I want to speak to you adults. Because what I've heard from my own generation, the generations that are even further than I, are these fingers pointing back at the young. What's wrong with them? What's wrong with them? Why can't they be more committed to God? Why are they packing up and leaving anyway? Why aren't they more missional? Why aren't they working for God? Why? It must be the school's fault. Let's talk about the school then. Teachers. Yes, it's the teacher's fault. Is it really? Meanwhile, it seems to me like the adults among us are consumed with the slander and misinformation. Oh, oh, if I could just give you, if I could just, if I could just get, rather, a dime for every time somebody tells me that the science proves their point or the experts agree. You can find experts and science for whatever you need to find it for. Stop it. No wonder a generation of young people behind us are going, well, what, 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 what are we supposed to pay attention to? You tell me on Sabbath, you tell me to follow the prophets, but the rest of the week I'm hearing you and you're paying attention to the news and the slander and the misinformation. Rami Shapiro, in his book, The Hebrew Prophets, said the prophet's task is to confront you with a choice. What the necessity, with the necessity of making a decision. The future is fluid. It's not fixed. It is created by choice made in the present. Today, beloved, today, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Can you say, as Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work. I can't come down. Or in your heart of hearts, do you know that you've come down off the wall of rebuilding God's work and you are now meddling with things that are a complete waste of your time? Today, Shapiro says, the prophet's task is to confront you today with a choice of making a decision. The future is fluid. It's not fixed. Because of the great and precious promises of God, you can lay hold of and change the tomorrow. Did you hear the song that they just sang? Something is happening. It can happen in your lifetime, but it takes a Nehemiah, undistracted, by the slander and the misinformation around him. He lays hold of what he knows God has asked him to do. It takes a Deborah who says, no, you should just rely on God's word. That's it. That's all you need is God's word. But I, Come on, come on. I'll go, but I just need a little bit more. I'm willing, but I need a little bit more. Oh, Beric, you lost a moment there. You want to live to your full potential? You want to not fail? Then live, live strictly and solely by the word of God. That's it. No one else, no one else, nothing else.
well, come on, on a weekend like this, a Valentine weekend, it's a little reminder for some of you, Valentine weekend coming up, might be Monday, but it's also the Olympics, so we got to get a little love story, a little Olympic story in here. I'm going to put the picture of an Olympian of this year, just oh, this last week, Donovan Corrijo. He's a Mexican figure skater. The, the importance of that is there hasn't been a figure skater from Mexico in 30 years. It's not exactly the, the birthplace of figure skaters. Donovan, as a young boy, was, a, was into gym, gymnastics. I've got his story printed off here. He was into gymnastics, but his sister got into figure skating. Now, there's not a lot of options of figure skating. I've lived in Mexico for years. I, we, we had to go to the, this, the mall. In the center of the mall, there was a little figure skating rink that was sometimes even, sometimes not, often crowded on the weekend. That's all there is. There isn't ice rinks set apart for, for training. And, no, no, no. There's just a little, a little activity at the mall. Well, that's where Donovan's sister would go, and she would skate at the mall, and he would do gymnastics. Well, one day, he's there to pick up his sister. He's eight years old. Now, this is, a little, this is young. 18 is almost too young for this to start, but eight-year-old, eight-year-old Donovan, you know, he's, he sees someone skating with his sister. Well, who's that? He tells his mom on the way home, I think I'd rather, <clears throat> I think I'd rather ice skate than gymnastics. He, he, said, he said in his interviews uh, just weeks ago, he never told his mom, but that little girl skating next to his sister caught his eye. Huh. So for four years, four long years, he skated after school with this little girl. One day, he bemoans, her family must have packed up and left, but she disappeared. He'd never seen her again. But that little love at eight years old drove him to to be persistent in his practice. Well then, now a few years later, he is watching the Olympics, Toronto. And he sees the figure skating. Ah, I've got to tell you this. When he went went skating uh, to be with this little beauty on the ice, he didn't have his own skates, so he had to borrow his sister's. And that's how he got into figure skating. He just, she, she had figure skates, so he had to use, his parents couldn't afford two pairs of skates, and so he had to use his sister's, and that's how he got into figure skating. But years later, he's watching Toronto, and he's seeing the figure skaters, he's like, I want to do that. I want to do that. So he begins to train with extra work. Come on. There's, there's, nothing, there's no facilities for him to train in. He's skating with a bunch of 11 and 12 and 13-year-old girls just having fun on the ice after school, but he's now doing quadruple toe stuff. I always look for an announcer, say, here comes the quadruple and the triple. I get it every time. I miss it every time. I can't catch it. Was that a toe loop or not? I don't know. He's doing him now. At the shopping mall, on uneven ice, this little podunk ring, 
in Mexico. He catches the attention of a few people. Word gets out. A coach offers to help him, oftentimes for free, because his parents can't afford even to pay a coach. The government hears about it, a little pitch in from there. Finally, he gets to Beijing to, to participate in the Olympics. Nobody's ever heard of him. A male Mexican figure skater? He skates and he passes into the long program. He's in 20th place. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not after a medal. But here's the fascinating part. He's used to skating on a little podunk ring in the center of a shopping mall. He gets, for the first time in his life, he gets to an actual ice skating rink and realizes that his program is only like a little quarter of the rink. He has to change his program for a bigger vision in order to use the entire rink. Otherwise, he's over in the corner just doing his little dealie. And he says, I've never seen a rink. And so he, they redraw his program in order to fill the rink. And wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? There are 10 and 11 and 12-year-old kids skating today in Mexico because of Donovan. They watched him, and he's inspired a generation in the country of Mexico. I know it. I know it for a fact. With my own ears, I've had a conversation. They said, he's, he's caught our heart. He's shown us our potential. I want to invite the worship leaders up. I want to invite these senior worship leaders. Seniors, now I'm going to talk to you. The rest of you sitting on the front. In a few short months, you guys are adios. And you're going to be able to point the finger back. Say, look at those high school students. So immature. We're never that way. And you'll have those conversations with your classmates. We're never that way. But I wonder today. I wonder today if you would be willing to consecrate the rest of the school year, yea, even your life, to being a Donovan and inspiring the next generation to service for God. Seniors, I'm wondering if you would not waste these precious weeks and months left on this campus or in this life, but you would take God at his word, go. And you would set the example that would inspire a campus here and a campus in Lincoln, Nebraska or in Berrien Springs, Michigan or Collegedale, Tennessee, wherever you go. I'm wondering, seniors, would you be willing to do the unpopular thing that Donovan Carrillo did for Mexico? There weren't any male Mexican figure skaters, but he's inspired a generation. He's contagious. Would you be willing to? I want to invite you to stand in front of your school and in front of this congregation. 
if you would be willing to say, I'm dedicating my life to setting the example, to inspire a generation behind me to serve God radically. Would you stand? If you're willing to do that, if you're willing to do that now, these last few months, would you be willing to consecrate yourself, your life, to raising up a generation behind you? God bless you, seniors. And for the rest of you seniors, I want to challenge you to follow their example. Stop the nonsense. Stop looking for the, the, stop being distracted by the slander and the misinformation. You can point your fingers all you want at the school, the principals and the teachers and the administrators. You can point your fingers at the pastors, the elders of the, you can point your fingers. But if God can use a Donovan Corrigio to inspire a country for figure skating. Oh, come on now. He can use you to inspire a generation to radical service. What's your decision? Baraksada. I'll, I'll, I'll follow God, but I just, I just need some extra assurance. Deborah said, you're missing out, man. Please don't miss out on the full potential God has for you. His highest calling for you, your greatest honor, is to take him at his word and to go. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.